Welcome to the Adversity Psychologist Podcast, a podcast incorporating narratives about facing and navigating adversity, a mixture of people, their experiences, and professional psychological discussion. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo. I'm a qualified and regulated psychologist with over 20 years' experience of mental health, disability, and human behavior. I want to share people's stories of navigating adversity in the hope that through being heard, a dose of compassion and some understanding, we can help others in the face of adversity too. So welcome to this episode of the Adversity Psychologist podcast. I'm Dr. Tara and I'm really, really delighted today to have a guest from overseas. So we have Steve Lovelace with us today and I'm going to throw it over you to say hello and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, hello to everybody across the pond, as they say. I'm yes. uh, Steve Lovelace. I'm a 60-year-old uh, husband and father, live in Oklahoma, which is right in the center of the United States. Uh, we're very laid back here. We have, uh, unfortunately, uh, kind of a bad history with the Oklahoma City bombing, and you know that kind of put us on the world map. But uh, you know, we're very loving, accepting, and just generally good country type folk here in Oklahoma in the United States. So definitely happy to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to tell you my story and share how I've dealt with adversity over the years, literally from day one. So yeah. I'm really thrilled that you reached out. Really, really thrilled. And we've already found that we're both lovers of dogs, so we have something yes. in common already. We could probably <laughs> do another whole episode on the therapeutic benefits of dogs, we've decided as well. Um, tell me a little bit about, so people can read up on you and we will put in the show notes and at the end also some links so people can find out more about you, more about your story. Where would you like to start? Wow, man. Um, you know, literally the the thing that has brought me to the internet, to podcast and to the journalist world, telling my story was an accident that happened back in 1982. I was a 20-year-old college student. My grandfather passed away unexpectedly. I moved back to the family farm to help my grandmother out with things and transferred colleges. And at the time, I was working to make a little bit of money. I was doing this by cutting firewood, which yeah. is a very dangerous activity. I knew literally nothing about cutting firewood, had been at it for maybe maybe a month or so, uh, when one day, November 30th, 1982, I was cutting a tree and it did what they call a barber chair, which in lumberjack terms is a very common thing, but it's, it's one of the most dangerous things that happens. I right. didn't know this at the time, the tree split in half and it fell over. It formed a T, uh, the T part was about 10 or 12 feet high in the air. My friend continued cutting on it. And at some point, I just, my world changed in a moment's notice. I woke up in the middle of this tree. I had one massive half of the tree to my front. I had one massive half of the tree to my back. What Gosh. I came to realize was that my face was crushed. My left wrist was crushed. I had bruised my heart. I had crushed literally three vertebrae and I was paralyzed below the waist, laying in the middle of a wheat field miles away from the nearest house that you know, anyone could actually come and help. I was trapped for two hours before they kept me free and got me to the hospital. And we found out the extent of my injuries was given a 50-50 chance of living through the night, which I beat those odds. And they told me that I may never walk again, which at that time as a 20-year-old could muster up, I said, I'm walking out of this hospital. I was not going to take that 
as a resolute yeah. type of situation. So I spent three and a half months in the hospital. I got out. I spent another three and a half months in the rehabilitation center. But in between this, when I got out of the hospital, I managed to take four steps. And I, I did walk out. I did keep my my Remarkable. promise. And what had happened was the swelling around my spinal cord was so extensive that it had basically cut off all the sensory information going down below my waist. So after I get out of the rehab center and I'm basically left to my own you know, effort to rehabilitate myself at this point, I'm still barely able to shuffle across the floor. I'm in excruciating pain. I'm on so many pills, but I push myself. And for the next couple of years, I had advanced and improved my health and had started to run. Then at some point in 1985, I think it was maybe October, November, or maybe December. I can't remember exactly when. I was watching TV when I came across the Ironman World Championship Triathlon. Yes, yeah. I had always been an athlete, and this was such a new sport. I'd never seen it before. I had no idea what triathlon was other than what I was witnessing on TV, which was just a lot of people pushing themselves, and I could so relate to this. But then they played Julie Moss crawling across the finish line from the 1982 Ironman. And I related so much to her effort and her struggle and her pushing herself and being at her lowest point, but still moving forward towards that finish line. And it was just at that moment that I had an epiphany that, hey, I'm going to do a triathlon. So I continued to push myself over the next several months. I ended up finding a triathlon that was happening in Oklahoma in 1986 in June. I show up at the triathlon. I do complete the triathlon. It was a struggle from beginning to end. I came in dead last. But what I came to realize many, many, many years later, we're talking decades. It was actually last year uh, during COVID. I found out that I was only the second disabled athlete ever to do a triathlon. So I actually helped pioneer the sport of paratriathlon, which is now an Olympic sport. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I made my mark in history. I just never knew it until recently. But uh, that's pretty much the the biggest struggle that I've gone through in my entire life. But it actually set the stage for everything else that followed. I was a, a very poor student prior to this, but my grades improved. I put myself through college. Uh, I got a job in the medical field. I actually went back and I gave back to the medical field by working at Children's Hospital and working at an adult university hospital here in Oklahoma as a way just to give back to the community that had done so much for me through all my adversity and all my healing. Yeah. That's the other thing that struck me as well, because you've had multiple types of adversity come your way. Yes. But the thing that's kind of followed through is your ability to still give back. So, you know, I'm a big advocate of compassion for self and others, enhancing our well-being, enhancing other people. Um, and to be able to do that, you know, you would be well within your rights to go, I need to concentrate on me right now. But even with all of that, that you're giving back. And I'm just wondering, what did that add to your own personal kind of journey and um, well-being, being able to do that for other people, being able to give? You know, I, I never really shared my story all that much. Um, yeah. I knew it was impactful, but I'm not a boastful person and I'm certainly not out there really trying to look for people to pat me on the back and give me attention. Mm. But what I've come to realize is that it is impactful and I need to share it. And yes. people yeah. are just coming out of the woodwork with their 
thanks and and their desire to tell me how motivated they are by my story from what I've gone through. And it does a lot for me internally more than anything. I mean, I use it to push myself forward in, in those tough times thinking that even when I'm at my lowest, I still have a story that I can come back to and even inspire myself at times. Because when I look back at it, the journey that I was on back in 82 to 86 was pretty incredible. I don't know how I made it through. Maybe it was the medication that I was on at the time before I totally got rid of all that. But I really think a a lot of my strength came from my mother. Uh, I was raised by a single mother and, you know, we were relatively poor. I don't want to say we were just completely destitute, but, you know, we struggled and she was uh, just kind of a pillar. Uh, though it was very difficult. It was all that strength that she gave me that helped me push through and has made me the individual that I am today. So I'm very thankful of that. Because it's so interesting when hopefully when people are listening to this, they'll go straight to your website and have a look and read about you. Is that on paper, I was really quite astounded by your continual journey when life just thrown you some real kind of curveballs. Is that the right term? Have I got that right? Yeah. yeah. Literally <laughs> just to keep going keep going but actually that sometimes being reminded of your own journey has been helpful for you because there are kind of conflicting schools of thought aren't there about focusing on what you've been through and negatives but actually I do think that there can be an awful lot in that and it sounds like that's been useful for you to think about your journey at times even the really difficult points yeah and you know I I've journaled along the way and I'm a big advocate of and I had seen a therapist many, many years ago. And it's so cathartic to sit down and think about those times. And one thought leads to another and then another, and then you pour it all out and you don't build up what I call an emotional dam, which I had for many years held a lot of things inside. And a dam can only hold back so much water and an emotional dam can only hold back so many emotions. And then pretty soon it gives loose. And that's when you have all the 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 extremes. And so you kind of have to let that water out and let those emotions out little by little to make a difference. And and I found that out just, just living life day to day. One of the things that's also interesting. So I like to kind of keep abreast of current research and trends is that there is research indicating that for men, particularly, it can be harder to start to talk about emotions and feelings, and then also to share that in public forums. And I'm just kind of wondering whether you have a particular viewpoint on that, because you've always been very open with how you feel and as you say even back you know in the 80s and 90s that you were on that journey talking about how you feel and that being important for you it was my mom and being raised by my mother and my sister right. that you know I took on a lot of the female emotional qualities being able to express my emotions and yes never really holding it back i mean i from my early early years up until about 14 i was just internalized. Everything was inside and and it came out with an emotional burst. And, you know, there was one particular moment when I was 14 where it just all came out. But from that point forward, I was a different person. And that's where I learned that, you know, letting it out. And even if it was in an angry way at the time, it was, you know, that emotional damn burst. And that's where I figured that out. And then I ended up moving in with my grandparents, my grandfather that had passed away that I mentioned earlier. I lived with him for several years and I got to have that male influence that I didn't have growing up. 
but I got to balance the two. You know, I got to have that strong, manly machismo and, and I got to have that soft, tender uh, female side as well. And it's carried me through to this day. I'm still a very well-balanced individual, I think. Um, you know, I still face a lot of adversity day to day. And, and sometimes it seems insurmountable. But I know that, you know, nothing lasts forever. Even in the worst of times, things are always going to improve. But you have to look at the glass and see it half full, which is what I try to do. Already, I'm sure there's so much that people will just go, wow, that really resonates with me. But I wanted to just pick up on one thing you'd said there, just from a, a psychologist's point of view. So obviously I have clinics and I see patients mm. as, as well as doing this. Is When you talked about, I love that metaphor, that emotional dam, you know, that literally we all get to the point where we can only hold so much and it might come out in trickles or the whole thing may kind of burst. But you mentioned anger. And I always feel a bit sorry for anger that it's a normal human emotion, but it gets a bit of a rough ride, something we shouldn't feel, there's certain connotations. And understandably, some of that's due to perhaps the fact that angry behavior often is in a form that's not acceptable, harm to others, for example. But that when you have been through adverse experience, often anger, often anger is part of that, isn't it? That maybe we can normalize. And I'm just wondering, people listening to this might go actually do you know what I do feel angry and it's right to express that obviously in a safe way right. and I'm just wondering years when you've had adverse event after adverse event whether anger may be a really prominent emotion then you know why is this keep happening or how frustrating it is when you might want to be reaching a certain goal for example that's it it's goals um and, and I found that my at my outlet for my anger was athletics, um, yeah. pushing myself yeah. and, you know, feeling that struggle and, and even sometimes the pain of pushing yourself athletically. Yes. It allowed yeah. me to get that out, as you said, in a good way versus in a bad way, you know, against somebody. And I, yeah, here's a tough confession. My father was abusive. Uh, he right. left very early on. I think I was four years old when he abandoned the family and I basically never saw him much after that. But they always say that abusers turn out to be, or the abused turned out to be abusers, but I broke that chain and, you know, I was able to confront him. It was verbally, uh, it was right. upon his dying deathbed. He was, he had cancer and he said he wanted to talk to myself and my sister. I chose to go. My sister did not. But what I came to realize is that as I stepped up and I gave him the, basically the what for verbally, he made excuses for all of his actions. Whereas right. I told him the difference between him and myself is that I choose to own my actions. I don't yes. choose to excuse yes. them. And it really comes down to you either make a choice or you make an excuse, I think, in life. Absolutely. That kind of, and part of that, I guess, is making room and identifying the emotion in the first place. And I was just thinking, if we go back to that emotional dam, that for some people, it's very natural, isn't it, to just push everything away. I'm not going to even know what I don't know what this feeling is. I don't like it. Let's push it away. But part of a journey to kind of emotional recovery is being able to go, what is that? Actually, that might be anger. That might be fear, anxiety, pain even can be sensation based can't it in order to then kind of explore it and, and move on now one mm -hmm. of the things kind of reading up about you is that life didn't just involve one incident you've had multiple life-changing sure. <laughs> haven't you is that something you're comfortable to talk about in terms of other things that you've experienced yeah you know i've um I like to think I'm a very religious person. I might not show yeah. up to church every Sunday, but I have a very strong faith. And yes. I know yeah. that 
there's the old adage of, you know, God will not heap any more on you than you're able to handle. And I was talking to my sister this past weekend and I said, I just figured out that I'm very good at suffering and dealing with it. Sadly, Uh, it's not a strength that I would wish on anybody, but when adversity comes my way, which it has uh, by way of, uh, you know, I'd mentioned the Oklahoma City bombing earlier, and I was a rescue worker for the Oklahoma City bombing back in really? 1995. Right. When that happened, I went in and volunteered my services as an x-ray technologist, as well Gosh. as the services of my staff that was working with me at the time. I was a supervisor at the local hospital. The The unfortunate part of this is that I was the only x-ray tech that had pediatric experience. So I had the unfortunate honor. I say honor because it was an honor to give my services to yes. to the yeah. accident. But I ended up having to x-ray all the babies that they pulled out of the nursery, which right. was, I didn't have children at the time. So, mm. you know, I didn't have that emotional tie to it, but it was so, so difficult. And, and that was one that was very tough to get over. Um, I dealt with that for many years. I still deal with it, you know, when that anniversary comes around. Yeah. But beyond that, I've suffered with numerous concussions, which will change you forever, depending on the severity and, and, you know, the amount and where it's located. And I've had heart attacks. I've had uh, bacterial meningitis that nearly killed me. I've had a spine fluid leak that nearly killed me. Yeah. But each time I deal with something that puts me in a trough. I look up, I set a goal as we had talked about, and I push myself forward. It might be as small as, you know, getting up and walking across the floor when I feel like I can't just to push myself uh, through a boundary. Because what that does for me is it builds me back up. It lets me know that I'm capable, that, you know, if I set that goal and I meet it, I can set another goal and another and another. And then pretty soon it builds on itself and all those small moves turn into a great thing eventually. That's what I find really interesting. So I was talking to a guest the other day um, about mental health, actually, and small goals when you're facing adversity. And that sometimes we can, brain's really unhelpful at times, isn't it? It thinks it's doing Mm -hmm. us a favor, but it can race in with it. This isn't going to work. Maybe you need to do more. Maybe a goal needs to look bigger. But I'm very interested in what you were saying and how you can kind of help your head get around that idea of something may seem really small and maybe even not that helpful at the time, but I need to be able to do this. How have you kind of work through that if there is a magic formula what have you found works for you to kind of combat brain and it's unhelpful stance at times yeah i mean like you say you can start small and i'll tell you how small i started when i started my journey after my accident after i was paralyzed and laid near death and i was you know for six months i basically didn't move at all when i got out i would watch tv um And I would say, you know what, during this commercial, which may last a minute or two, I'm going to walk around the house. I'm going to do circles. And I would come back exhausted, but I would relax and I would recover watching the show that I was uh, viewing. And I did this over and over. And eventually my circles in the house turned into circles around the block and then circles around a one mile square. And eventually it turned into triathlon and then making you know, my journey to make history in triathlon. So it doesn't matter how big the goal is. It only matters that you A, have a goal and B, you push yourself towards it. You have to have a carrot on the stick that you're always chasing. Otherwise you'll sit in a sedentary life and and have nothing. You'll have nothing to be proud of. You'll have nothing that 
allows you to know that you're physically capable, even as you age, you're going to find that you may have to pull your goals back a little bit. You're not that 20 year old kid with that mental mindset, but you still have physical capabilities and you have a desire and really it comes down to desire. If you don't desire to improve yourself, you're not going to, and that's a choice. Again, it's either a choice or an excuse. That's really interesting. So a lot of the work that I do is very values-based, and sometimes values can help you to then set goals and, and can help you on your journey towards achieving them as well. So that desire, I'm wondering if that's a little bit akin to kind of values. How do you tap into desire, even on days when I imagine, you know, when you've been through, especially with, with your journey, that understandably some people might be quite flat, finding it difficult to get motivated, that old what's the point kind of in a critic showing up. How have you helped yourself tap into that desire? I tend to say that I have three kinds of days. I've got good days, I've got bad days, and I have survival days. And they don't have to do with physical pain, but everybody has those days. What I've realized is that even in my survival days, when my pain is at its absolute worst, I know it's not going to be at its worst forever. I know that there's going to be a trough. It's There's going to be peaks and valleys. And yes. I just yeah. have to have the strength to push through that and survive it, knowing that if it's not tomorrow or the next day, it's going to be next week. But it's going to happen yes. eventually. Yeah. And so I just push through that. We were going to talk about pain. I'm wondering if that's a good time to do it now. So as well as brain trauma, PTSD, the adverse events you've been through, your body has been through so much as well, hasn't it? Sure. How do you manage pain alongside psychological trauma? <laughs> I, I laugh a, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the, the pain that I experience now with, with, I have a disease called arachnoiditis, which is yes. chronic inflammation of the arachnoid tissue that surrounds the spinal cord. It's one of the worst, most painful diseases that you could have. Really? And I've been on so many, so many medications and I just... I'm not a big fan of medications, though I know that some serve their purpose for yes, short term, yep. but pain medications yep. are, they just, wow, what's the word I'm looking for? They're so, I mean, just horrible. That's about as bad as I can, you know, describe yeah. it. But yeah. I got off all my medications and what I discovered through all the pain and suffering that required that medication was that a lot of the pain that I was dealing with that continued to get worse and worse as I was on them was actually caused by the medications themselves. I would be what I call micro withdrawals from dose to dose. And I, it, it made me think that my body's just not capable of dealing with this pain that I'm dealing with. So I need another pill. But when I got off of them, most of that type of pain went away. Now I still suffer through some horrific days and yeah. driving a car is very painful. My my pain is localized in my right foot. So when I right. push on the gas, sometimes it's like pushing on a uh, a bed of nails and yeah. the nails go yeah. straight through my foot. I mean, it's literally that intense, but I just have such a, a strength internally that allows me to push through that knowing again that it's not going to last forever i won't need to push that gas pedal i can my cruise control on and then i can breathe a sigh of relief and just kind of suffer through the rest of the drive but i don't know i mean it's really hard to explain you you either have the ability to get through pain or you you don't and it's not 
a bad thing if you can't, uh, but you can learn how to get through it uh, the more yes. that you're in. Yeah. So. And that journey, I think, is what really interested me in you that you know how on earth just you know when you if it's all right to say when you look at what you've been through on paper so when I look at my notes now gosh you know it you know for me it made me kind of take an intake of breath and go wow you know how does someone and and as you say you're living a really value-laden life as well you're doing things that you want to be doing in spite of all this which I just find is remarkable so on those kind of middle days as you say what is it that you draw on then what what is your kind of well-being routine look like to try and just stay in the right psychological place to be able to live your value-laden life do the things that matter get in that car to get to b mm-hmm. from a sometimes i it's a recovery day <laughs> all depending on the day before uh, and right. how much i've okay. had to suffer um yeah. but you know i i still love to ride my bike i mean i've had a love of bikes since i was self-taught to ride as a very small child. Yes, and yeah. I, it's the one activity along with swimming that I can do where I look just like everybody else. Yeah. Even though when yeah. I walk, I hobble and, and, you know, I have to use a, a, a cane or, or a staff to get around because my balance issues are, are yes, so yeah. poor, but I can still get on the bike. And, and the great thing about the bike is when you're on it, you're, you have to concentrate so much about the road in front of you and your balance and the cars on the road that it takes all the rest of the world away with the exception of the view that's in front of you side to side. So there's a beauty to it and it's very cathartic. It's very, uh, I mean, it's the bike is such a wonderful mechanism for relieving stress and the great benefit is when I'm done, I get this rush of endorphins, which is yeah. the body's natural painkiller. And you can't get any better than natural. I mean, you know, you yeah. can split an atom in a, in a laboratory and, and swallow that pill and that's great. But this is the nature's way of healing and allowing you to get through it. Now, it doesn't last forever. And there's always a downside to any exercise that, that I put myself through. But it's a cost-benefit analysis for me. And, and the benefit is that, one, I keep yes. my strength. Two, I build my strength. And I just I know that, you know, as long as I keep moving forward like that in that particular direction, that I'm, I'm never going to wither away. I'm never going to be a vegetable on the couch just changing channels. It's a couple of things there. I must remember to come back to something at the end about being the vegetable on the couch and, and the kind of values about what you want your life to look like, what you don't want it to look like. But I'm also thinking, I know a few people that actually cycling is their outlet. Um, and as you say, it may well be that the next day, I'm sure we've all had times where we feel stiff, have muscle aches, but for you with your particular needs as well, what that may mean from the day before and the day after. But at that moment, being able to kind of tune back into, but actually right now on this bike, and the thing about bikes, you can then go and cycle in the great outdoors. Nature's mm. great, isn't it? Yes. Being out, being free. And I guess I'm thinking as well, the autonomy that comes with, well, where do I want to go? And I imagine through a lot of your recovery when you've been in rehab units, you know, how much autonomy you've had over day-to-day things and how, you know, when you think about something simple as getting on a bike, what that means to be able to choose where to go, what you do. Yeah, I, it's great because for so long when I was in the hospital, all I had was the ceiling and the four walls that surrounded me. So I longed and I yearned so much to get out and do these things that they told me I may never do again. Yes. And I'm <laughs> probably the worst. Tell me not to do something and I promise you I'll find a way to do it. Even as long as it's not, you know, 
risk averse. Uh, yes, or, yeah. Um, I like that thinking. I yeah. really do. But that's, you know, I, I just find that, I don't know, you just have to look for the one thing that makes a difference in your life to start with. And then that will build on itself. I mean, it really will. It'll, it'll proliferate and you'll have all these other things. And I, I chose triathlon. Eventually, I, I kept up with triathlon because it was a, a solo journey and I didn't have to rely on anybody else but myself. Right. But I knew that I could yeah. rely on myself yeah. always. Yeah. And that's a, a key strength, you know, uh, until you find the love of your life that you can share your world with. That It makes a difference to be able to know that you have your own back. Yes. So I think, you know, that autonomy, what you've been through and just simple things that we may take for granted, being able to get on a bicycle, go off and cycle. And when that's taken away, what that must mean to be able to then go do that again. And, but also, I think, you know, how important that may have been then in your journey that you are relying on you, but also perhaps taking things at your own pace. And what I did read as well when it comes to cycle, but you cycle with your son. Is that right? That you introduced him? I did. Yeah, he was. Um, he's our I've got two boys, Jackson, uh, who's my oldest, 17, and Barron, who is my youngest at 15. And Barron right. is the athlete and Jackson is the mathlete, uh, which right. I call them. He's the <laughs> yeah, quiet like intellect. But Barron, early on, he did his first triathlon when he was six. And wow. I'm so proud. I mean, I've got oh, pictures yeah. of him, you know, doing this on his little uh, just road bike and yeah. um we continue to ride together now he's as he's getting older it, it becomes a little more difficult but the the ironic thing as you mentioned this is that i told him i said hey i think i may end up selling some of the bikes i've got several bikes and they take up right. a lot of space and you can only ride one at a time and i said not anybody in the house really appreciates the bike as much as i do and he stopped me and he looked at me and he said i do and he said, you know, I've been wanting to go ride again. And, and I love riding with him because we have these great conversations and, yeah. you know, you can, when you're isolated like that, you're forced to have a conversation when you're on a bike and you're with somebody else. I mean, who else is there, right? Other than who's right next to you. And so that meant a lot to me. And, and I still, with my love of cycling and, and knowing that yeah. he gained it, eventually he may push himself into doing it a little bit more, uh, as I did event, you know, and, and I would love to see that happen because there's nothing greater than watching your offspring take up some of the things that you have appreciated and have made such a difference in your own life. Yes, absolutely. I'm just wondering also coming back to the kind of compassion and, and you know, how other people can impact us is just seeing him doing that, whether that's actually helped your journey as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because I, I look back, for all intents and purposes, I should not have survived the accident. I Gosh. even to live through it. I mean, it was the tree was massive. The impact was extensive. And the fact that I lay there for so long, most of that two hours I spent by myself as my friend was running for help. As I Gosh. said, we were miles away. And to know that, you know, I made it out and I got to get back and do this same activity. And then I got to share it with somebody. And, you know, it would, there's no greater appreciation for something like that than watching your offspring do it and then hoping that maybe his kids will do it and he'll be able to say hey i used to ride with my dad and we used to do this and he still brings yes. up certain things that have happened on some of our rides because they can be very uh memorable in in a lot of different ways even in minute ways they can be memorable there's so much value tied up in that so i want to come back to that sofa as well that I'm just wondering, you know, when you've got a value-laden life, the who, what, when, where, 
that matters to you, how important that might be in a recovery journey or an ongoing journey. And I was just thinking, you said, you know, what you didn't want in terms of just sitting on the sofa. And I'm just thinking, you know, how did you begin to decide, right, what do I want my life to look like? What don't I want it to look like? Because I think that can be really useful for people to think about. When I had my accident and I was on all the medications and I was dreaming of the life that I didn't have at that particular point in time. Yeah. I always knew that I wanted my life to have value and have meaning. And I never lived it in such a way that I said, look at me and here's my story. I mean, my story was just always there for people that were close to me. I've shared it with close friends and and family through the years, but I just never really broadcast it. But now that I found out that it has such a a significant place in history, it's, and people are telling me, look, these these are the kind of stories that people are yearning for now. I mean, there's so much negativity in the world and there's so much darkness and really to is. have all this positivity come out from this story that happened in 1986 and in 1982. And it's about this simple guy from Oklahoma. You know, I mean, I'm five foot seven, 140 pounds. I'm not a big guy. So my impact on the world is only what I can provide, but I've got this history that, everybody's telling me share your story and and it's it's yes. someone outside my comfort zone to to bring it out uh the first time that i was offered the opportunity to share my story i was so nervous am yes. i going to get it yeah. right or people going to question me but what i came to realize again is that this is my story and i'm the only one that can really tell it from my point of view so i and every literally everything that i say is as honest as the day is going to be long and it I'm never going to get it wrong. It's always going to be, you know, what I had experienced. And so it's giving me new purpose and new meaning in life. I'm starting out to now do motivational speaking by telling my story because it can be impactful. And, and you know, through all the adversity that I've been through, yes. there's value to other people. And it, it doesn't have to be that I give them the one, two, three list as much as I give them the story and they walk out going, wow, if he can do that. What am I capable of doing with a whole body and with this general mindset of I want to do and I want to accomplish? So, so that I mean, I'm so honored. Thank you for sharing your story with us and the UK oh. and whoever else is listening around the world. That knowing what you want and what you don't want, I, as a psychologist, I quite often will see patients that don't know what they want from life. They've had a lot of things thrown their way, but they know what they don't want, and that can be a really good starting place. And that's why I think that will stay with me particularly. That I don't want to be this person who was just kind of resigned to sitting on the sofa. You knew there's value there in connection with your family, with sports, with meaning. You know, connection with the world, being on that bike. I don't know, feeling the wind. It's not just about the bike, is it? it's where you can go with it, but also just that journey and helping others. So you know, when we look back at your journey despite what you've been through you know going back and training medically doing what you've done helping out in a really traumatic time and continuing to do that now where would you like things to go what do you want to be doing keynotes well, for <laughs> what are your plans how can we help you get there i've got like four journals of notes that i've made over the years and even right. over the most recent years when you know i kind of hit some dark times with COVID. COVID was relatively yes. tough when, you know, you're stuck at yes, home and you can't sure. do anything. Yeah. And yeah. that's when I started putting the majority of my story together. So I'm now writing a book. Um, I oh, hope that fantastic. it will come out legibly and people will be able to, you know, it's not going to be crucified as far as its, uh, its uh, grammar goes. Uh, I'm not the, I'm not 
an official author. <laughs> I'm just a guy that knows his story and wants to put it in words. And I've, I kind of, well, the funny thing is I was looking at some images the other day and I came across this picture of JK Rowling sitting in a coffee shop writing Harry Potter and yes. I'm not typing it on a book. I'm, I'm, I'm a handwriter. I'm a, an analog guy, uh, very old school. And, and so I'm just handwriting all this out. So I'm hoping to get this out in publication at, at some point in time. I don't have any extreme imagination that it's going to be a bestseller as much as it may impact one person's life. And that will be the whole purpose. But also uh, starting in motivational speaking, my wife had told me about my son who's in uh, Scout. He's working on his Eagle and there's a merit right. college that's coming up in February. And she says, we're doing this section on disability. Would you like to come and share your story? And it's about disability and, and sport. And I'm like, oh man, that so up my alley. And it's something that I can speak on from an authority standpoint. Really is. So yeah. I look forward to that and and just getting my story out there to anybody where they need a spark because with a spark you can start a fire. And that's really how it started for me. That's gonna stay with me. What I really love there is that that kind of I want to get my story out there. I'm old school. You see now, I've yeah. got my pen. I take notes. I like connection. I like tech because we're recording this on a platform, right. aren't we? And had to get our heads around that. But I think you connect so much more with a pen and a piece of paper. And therefore, I'm just wondering what that story is going to look like when it's literally lifted off the page. So you've just given me a really good nugget. I always ask everybody for one adversity takeaway. That's my little signature move. And the sparks of the fire might be it. But is there anything else that you would give to us as a little nugget of coping with adversity? I mean, I covered it maybe a little bit earlier, but, and this is something that I always go back to. It's even at the worst of times when your pain is beyond the level of 10, it's never going to be there forever. There's always yes. going to be yes. a, a, it's always going to subside at some point. Broken bones heal, head trauma, you know, mends itself eventually. You just have to know that. And if you don't know that and nobody explains that to you, then you're going to think this is the worst day ever and it's, it's never going to end. But it will. I promise you. I've been through more bad days than you can count on two hands. So just give it a little bit of faith. Believe in yourself and know that when that subsides, you'll be able to make a goal and push yourself forward and use that as fuel to push yourself and, and to uh, you know go out and accomplish great things in life. That's a lovely metaphor, isn't it? Using that fuel. Because I imagine some days you might be running on empty, other days you might have a little more in your yeah. tank and kind of going with what you've got. How can people find out more about you? So I'm sure now people are like, well, I need to read more and I learn more about you. Where can we find you? We will also put this in the show notes as well. Sure. Um, on Instagram, which is, I'm just only recently kind of started with Instagram. It's uh, SP Lovelace. Um, I've got a uh, Twitter account, which is SP underscore Lovelace. And those are really the two main things. I don't have a website yet. I'm thinking, contemplating that, but I'm, again, a lot of this stuff is so new to me and I'm not the guy that goes out there boasting, but again, my story is impactful. I want to share it and I want it to impact other people's lives. So they can also Google uh, Steve Lovelace uh, tri triathlete or para triathlete. And I've got a lot of things that are out there. Uh, publications, one that's forthcoming in the next couple of weeks, which is for my alma mater, University of Oklahoma. I'm going to be featured as uh, one of the alumni. They're telling my story in the right. Alumni Association I'm magazine. So that. that is, uh, that's going to be 
probably the biggest thing that I've done. And then several podcasts where I've shared my story. What I would do is make sure, even if this episode is out, that I then add that in when it comes out as well for people. Because I know I've looking on there's a couple of websites where your story is on for people to read. Um, but also what would be really lovely is to read your words in your book when that comes out as well. Um, thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure to meet you. <laughs> You're the furthest away guest I've had so far. <laughs> well, Terry, it's, it's, <laughs> it's truly my honor uh, to speak with you and, and share my story with your listeners. And certainly in the UK, I actually talked to a gentleman uh, named Simon Ward uh, in the UK. I think he's from Liverpool, maybe. Um, this it's was a couple north, of weeks ago. There. And, it, you know, it's, it's always great to talk to people around the world because we're connected in so many different ways. We are. I'm just thinking, you know, the kind of things that we've also got in common. We need to do an episode on dogs if you're up for that at some point, the therapeutic oh, benefits of dogs. Yeah, I'll get <laughs> my big golden doodle around. <laughs> yes, yeah, we could do that visually as well, actually. Maybe we could put um, <laughs> some visuals out. To, yeah. I mean, yeah. I can do it with both of mine. I'm not sure if they'd make it through a whole podcast without being too loud. <laughs> um, Steve Lovelace, thank you so, so much. Um, and I'm really hoping we get to talk again, um, but we'll carry on connecting through social media as well. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Psychologist podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. I'm Dr. Tara Quintrarillo and you can find me at drtara.co.uk. You'll see everything I'm up to, free resources, my media work and my new COVID recovery clinic as well. Remember to please rate and review my podcast. It really helps people to benefit from the narratives of overcoming adversity if they know where to find us. The Adversity Psychologist podcast, helping you step at a time.